Welcome to the Politics Podcast. My name is Helen Bowditch and with me is my co-host Simon Delarue. It's happy anniversary to the 2020 election. It was this time last year that you might have been making a quick dash to the polling stations to fill out that big ballot paper. With us to reflect on the year is newbie deputy Tina Berry and experienced hand, the father of the house, John Gollop. Thank you both for coming in uh, today. Can you cast your minds back a year ago today? What were you doing on the actual election day? I was wandering around feeling a bit worried, I think, and apprehensive and looking at, at with Twitter opinion polls as to how people were doing and all that kind of thing. Uh, I remember talking to um, Dominic Wheatley and Bella Farrell and other island personalities who were at a conference that Susie Crowder organised about Bright Futures uh, postponed due to the first wave of the pandemic, which was very much about helping employment and the, the economy and people find new opportunities. I thought maybe I'll need one of those new opportunities. I just thought you might be signing on. Oh. Yeah, but it was, it was a long day. But you did very well. You did, yes. you did well on that island wave. You, where did you come? Sixth or seventh? Sixth. Okay, yeah, that was very good. Uh, but, 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 but inevitably... It, it was it was unknown, and it's it's fair to say, despite great new members like Tina uh, coming in, there was a kind of a swing towards what could loosely be called the the right. Yeah. In terms of the, the diversity of candidates, the issues that were important to them, uh, and the flavour of of the outcome. So, were you genuinely contemplating the possibility that you might not get in then? Because you have done pretty well, well in the yes, recent elections. Yes, I told OK in the sort of opinion polls uh, in the last stage. I had a lot of um, anti-people from, you know, Facebook, Guernsey people, have you say, sometimes, and that sort of thing. I wasn't as well organised as I could have been with getting everything out and about and all the things distributed. And actually, it was a completely new experience for me uh, I ended up spending more in the election than initially planned because, you see, the thing was, let, let's say you were a poll topper in St Peterport. Well, the highest ever poll topper in town, uh, when we were United Parish, got over 2,000 votes in recent years, 3,000. It was the late Sister Lincoln that used to get 3,000 votes when it was one parish and more people lived in town. And the highest poll top in the history of St Peter Port North, it might have been nice if it was me, but it wasn't. It was Michelle de Klerk who got nearly 1,800. We saw advocates Harwood and Furbush get 12, 1,300 in St Peter Port South, smaller electorate, and sadly the less well off there don't vote. But you put those together and you get a total vote for St Peter Port of 3,000. Now, nobody got in with 3,000 votes island-wide. The lowest one in got about 6,500. What does that tell you? It means you have to have support in, in many other parts of the island. And I was a complete unknown out in the rural countryside. Well, not unknown, but you know and what I mean. In I your case, Deputy Berry, um, you, this was an entirely new experience for you. You hadn't been in front of the electorate in this context before. Uh, but you have a background in marketing. Did you have an inkling of how things were going in terms of your campaigning? Um, I felt like it had gone well. 
Um, there seemed to be um, people reaching out to me, getting in touch with me, finding me. When we went to um, the candidate event at Beau uh quite a lot of people sought me out. So I thought, well, at least I'm cutting through in some way. Um, and, and people have heard of me and I'm not thinking, who's that? Otherwise, I definitely wasn't doing a good job. Um, on the day itself, I this very simple answer is I was at work. Um, I was still in full-time employment uh, when I was campaigning, which did make it quite a busy time um so and there was a bit of an acceptance at that point that um you know it's hap- it's happening now and I had actually accepted that a few days earlier um because so many people were using the postal vote option I was still knocking a few doors in that last um those last few days and people had already voted um so it was a, a bit of a breathe a sigh of relief what will be will be now and I think as a newbie it's are probably an easier position to be in because you're not there's nothing to lose um you know you're not not potentially going to lose your seat you're only only gaining um if you get in so I was just at work everyone there was a buzz um there was a bit of excitement uh and then um just contemplating the fact that the following day either I would just go back to work and life would be exactly the same and that was something that I'd done um, or life would completely change. So that was that was a thought process that kept going through my mind um, throughout the day. And which of those possibilities was more frightening to you? The getting in. <laughs> Absolutely. And did you have to hand in your notice the next day? Uh, I handed in my notice by a text message at about 20 past four in the morning that said I got in. <laughs> and what was it? We, I can't remember. Were you at Spose Jours uh, in the morning? Yes. Yeah, I was. I and just, you were there. I remember seeing you, John. Yeah. Yes. I decided to stay. There was an element of being very tired. I did but too. actually, it could have been, it might, and it might still be, a once in a lifetime opportunity. So, and actually, out of respect of the people that were all you know, working really hard to, to get that result through. I just, I just felt it was an experience that I wanted to have. I was a newbie, uh, actually, as long ago as 88, when I was 24. I didn't get in on that occasion in my white suit and so on. So uh, I've seen it from all perspectives. Tina did really well, despite the swing being against, well, in a way, women candidates, in a way, progressive candidates. But I noticed, Helen, you will remember, when you came up to the Beauces, your mass hustings, the, the Can't Meet the Candidates event, that Tina had one of the, some of the biggest cues and interest, and yeah. I'm quite a bit jealous. And Sasha as well, uh, and Mark Hellier. And, and there, there was, course, yeah, there were some Gavin, candidates definitely that had a, uh, had a buzz some, around them. Yeah. Uh, uh, so that's when I kind of thought... Tina would would, de- would definitely do well. That 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 that, that was all, all 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 a big occasion, really. But when when it comes to the, um, one one of the, you know, the uh, unique aspects of the that election, then a year ago, uh, obviously it was the introduction of uh, party politics. Now, Deputy Berry, you were a member of the Guernsey Party of Independence, uh, which we were told frequently is not really a party, and of course it doesn't exist anymore. Um, so, what is your experience? Uh, of the um, interaction of politicians or candidates uh, in within those parties, and do you think that as we uh, head towards the next election, that the party system will re-emerge, or do you think it's dead in the water now? In terms of experience, for me, it was it was a really positive one. I knew it was a gamble because there was a fair split in the, in the community. I think about whether we're ready for party politics or not. You know, and some people were absolutely dead set. If you're in a if you're in a party, I'm not voting for you. 
Um, but for me, in terms of um, being totally new to this, it was it was quite a nice, I suppose, support blanket. You know that there were experienced members, other members that I could, of, of the partnership that. I could draw on, talk to, I was building relationships with. Now, obviously, some of those people didn't get in, but as the term's gone on, having those relationships that we'd already built throughout the campaigning period was actually has actually served really well. There are ne- negative aspects to it. People are happy to throw the, uh, you know, block voting stone whenever they feel like it. But actually, you know, for me, with all these kind of stone-throwing things that happen, when I look at myself in the mirror, I know what I'm doing. And if I'm happy with that, then then I can go to sleep at night. Um, and the partnership was a, a strange hybrid. Um, I think it was trying to test the water with with the community if they were ready. Um, and perhaps it didn't it didn't pan out as we would have liked, just in terms of because of that n- lack of robust policies. Um, it was just more a values, and and that's why really we've dissolved because those values we can still work with without being in that formal grouping so do you think it would become a problem with you being able to look at yourself in the mirror if you were belonging to a party where there was a party whip where you actually had full-on party politics as as in the uk absolutely i could only i joined the partnership because i did align with their values but also because i knew i would be able to vote as i need as i needed to vote and look myself in the mirror and i wouldn't I just, I'm not being, I'm not very good at being told what to do. So. <laughs> and, and Deputy Gollop, were, were you tempted invited <laughs> into any parties and were you tempted to sort of knock on the door of any? I was. I probably, with hindsight, I'm glad I didn't. But I was um, superficially attracted to the Alliance Party uh, because they seemed to be offering a middle way, perhaps, between. Uh, uh, other groupings. Well, it's probably and, good that trying... you didn't, because none of them yes. got in. Well, and electorally, they, were... they really could have done with you, couldn't they? Yes. Because uh, they, they they, were... none of them got in, so they, they failed with their support. Uh, base. And perhaps their candidate base was a little bit more um, average people than perhaps some of the other candidates or groupings, or, or mixture personalities. I think, though, as a, as a novice party... It, 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 it perhaps was unclear how it was constitutionally structured and, and who was making the decisions and how much freedom individual members would have and uh, how much common ground there was between the candidates on policy or values even. So that, after a week or so of toying with it, I thought, I'll go my way. There are advantages in being part of parties. They can, to a certain extent, pay for publicity or organise it professionally. Um, I think, too, there's a common bond between the candidates, uh, a unity. And and if parties are properly organised, they can do more research work or commission research work or use academics or students or think tanks or whatever to actually move themselves forward. I don't see why Guernsey can't have parties or groupings that work together uh, not just within themselves, but with other groups, more in a coalition way. Given our electoral system was always, well, in modern times, electing five or six or seven in a district, and now it's the <coughs> foreseeable future, 38. <coughs> With that number, you don't need to have the mentality, which I came across last year, that you have to have 38 people all of the same mindset. Because... Um, It'd be more natural not to have an American Republicans versus Democrats first past the post 
system, but a more Scandinavian or European model or Scottish model even, where where different people like the Greens, I'm a member of the England Wales Green Party, well I find myself on the right of that, you see, uh, work with the Scottish Nationalists. In the past, you see Liberals and Labour working in Wales. So the parties maintain a distinct identity. Individual candidates or, or members might actually float between parties, um, and, and they would work on that basis. What is unhealthy, perhaps, are unofficial party groupings, and I, I do observe as a semi-independent, I think, in this States, one you can't call the vote on. We were, you were discussing in an earlier podcast how most of the time the media box seemed to get it right on the nail as to which way an, a member of the Assembly will vote. I've I, I got a little bit tired of each side, if there are two sides, saying the other's organising as a group, but they're not. Uh, I, I, think, I think the values that, that and personality types that the that the groupings have and what binds them. Uh, I, I, I think they are more naturally bound together because of, of, of a shared mindset. Birds of a feather stick together. Yes. Mm. I think it, it's overdone when the media allege that, that there's been orchestration within a particular group. Well, we've group. got an odd mortgages to pay. It's, it's more... <laughs> It, it's if more, we don't talk about parties, what are we, what we going to do? It's more who you bond with that counts. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, naturally you're going to have affinities with some people yes. and not so much with, with others. Do you think that parties are going to play a greater role in 2025 election? I think that's a bit unknown still. Uh, they might fizzle out altogether. I, I did sense once we got through the education debate and we've gone into the, the sort of madcap story of the free seating musical chairs in the States, that although that's had its funny moments, I think it, 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 and also how people are chatting, going out to lunch a little bit and so on, that some of the partisanship of the first year is potentially diminishing. Doesn't mean to say it's been extinguished. And I, I imagine it often depends on the subject at hand as well, because on some subjects there'll be that division and on others yes. there won't be. But I'm like curious about... was an interesting issue because it doesn't quickly divide people and nor does tax you will find a very odd vote when we finally get there next week with tax it i don't think you can say oh that's the van clan or that's the ex-partnership people it won't be like that but i think <laughs> the van clan will all vote in will all vote yes though what the gst yeah well they they might as a foursome if you define them as the four personalities who, who were going around in a van but um I, if you if you extend that to include the Guernsey Party and people who who appear similar in terms of voting records, it's split, that's it's not going to happen. Yes, yeah. I mean, we're, we're not going to see, unless I'm amazed, Deputy Nick Moak supporting GST this time round. No, no, absolutely not. If, if there is uh, a, a kind of a division, as you've discussed there, uh, on certain issues, and I wonder if that may have been sort of formed very early on, because obviously what followed the election immediately was the uh, pitching of the two candidates for the role of Chief Minister. So, Deputy Berry, how did that pan out for you? What sort of approaches were made to you? What discussions did you have? Were you spoken to by both of the candidates directly? And how did it, how did it go? Well, I think as a member of the partnership 
uh, no one felt the need to speak to me oh, from okay. the other you, side. You weren't, you weren't tapped up by the no, other side. No, I they, they, you were wasn't. a lost cause to no. them. Yeah, yeah, I was on the lost cause pile from from um, the side, obviously supporting Deputy Fairbrush. Um, so in that week, actually, with the week I call drafting week, um, the Chief Minister post really was was outside of what people were talking to me about. I was talking to various presidents who were going to be taking committees and thinking about my spots where I would like to be. Um, so yeah, that I think. I think that it was a really hard week, if I'm honest, because it felt like it was going to set the whole tone for the entire term. Um, and there was quite a lot of tension around it. Um, I think, you know, the personalities involved and that it was a it was, you know, round two of this of, of that um, particular situation was was interesting. And there was a huge amount of tension. But actually, you know, the results, the result, and and we all crack on, and 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 you take your places in committee, and then you become more removed from that. Um, but it, obviously, it does set the tone for the term. Um, but no, there were no tap ups from 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 the side supporting Deputy Fairbrush. No free lunches. The makeup of each committee it doesn't sort of it's not as if they tried to the other part the other bunch, if you like, tried to sew up all the seats on all the committees. I mean, there there was quite a lot of. Uh, well, how, how did you come to, to get the seats that you were on then? Well, how did those well, discuss, discussions go? Well, that's interesting. So obviously I would probably be described as a fairly progressive liberal. I stood on a fairly social platform um, and the committees I'm on are the social committees, um, both of which have it in their name. There were, so because... Um, in terms of those that were elected, there was a fair swing to the right, as you know, as has been acknowledged. There wasn't actually much of a bun fight for spaces on the committees that I wanted to go on. So, um, so I didn't really have to fight for my place. Um, we just had to had to find a strong group um, to go on the health committee. Tina's right there. It's great that she's, if you like, deputy minister, deputy president of health and social care, and on ESS. But I mean. Deputy Roppy put me up for ESS, and the strange thing was, we were elected unopposed, and health and social care, as you know, Deputy Burrard initially wasn't inundated with offers, either from people. And this is an extraordinary paradox to mull over, uh, that that the Guernsey Party um, have a commitment, really, to um, reduce expenditure, look very carefully at states' decision-making, although some of the individuals wanted more expenditure here and there. But none of them chose to stand for the two... Well, health or social care, which have enormous budgets and responsibilities. And and, and so you might have thought that the new wave of states' members would have... uh, uh, led to more interest in those. But we've got three committees of the states, really, Environment and Infrastructure, ESS and Health and Social Care, that are still more traditionally centrist in their, in their makeup. People, people want to go on things like economic development and yes. PNR because they feel like... And, and yet economic development, great committee though it is, uh, it, it actually has a very small staff team, a relatively small budget, and has had a non-interventionist culture. And so people in the community think getting on economic development will suddenly make Guernsey the most dynamic place, are completely misunderstanding the role of government and their place in it. Should we talk about, should we reflect on the year a little bit? What do you think maybe are some of the, maybe we'll start with positives, I don't know, or, or negatives, whatever you want. What, what do you think Tina are some of the positives. main <laughs> achievements? I mean, education, that uh, a solution has been agreed to education. 
you, you look un- unconvinced. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was. I mean, I was on the um, opposite side of that boat. But I think okay to look at the positives, which um, I try to do regularly um, and have done over the year. It, a decision has been made. Um, as we've seen previously that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to get over the line and as I said in in my speech in that debate you know I think it's going to be interesting to see how those relationships are now rebuilt with with uh, the education staff Um, and and we all want to see it succeed of course we do Um, it's I've got skin in the game as I've said you know my, my child is in the education system currently so it it was an interesting one, um, but I do think, you know, we do just need to move forward. So I'm not looking to see education fail. That's absolutely not where I am, but it's not the result I wanted to see. Do you think the decision quite early on in the States not to hold the review that had been promised, the Paulson Review, uh, was a way of just making things happen more quickly and therefore a good thing? Or do you think um, it's going to come back to bite ESC? Um, I think that I don't think that people have let that go yet. In all honesty, I think that if they had completed the review, even if they changed the parameters, um, people would have found that a more transparent process. At the moment, I think it feels like we're repeating what we've done before and hasn't worked, and that concerns people. Although I've been loosely aligned to some elements of the uh, sort of Peter Furbush action this day approach in perhaps cutting through some of the slowness and the the, the bureaucracy and the uh, of the past, I must admit I voted for Tina's pause and review. Uh, I think we we I think it it led to more bitterness during the next few months of the education debate and more misunderstandings of parents and teachers. And and I supported most of the amendments as a kind, not a filibuster exactly, but to give a, op- options. I I, I think I, I did it, it ultimately support the committee in the final vote because I think doing something after such a long period is better than nothing, and a new building. Uh, may uh, inspire people and, and, and a new culture. But if I'm honest, I think the what we've chosen, although it, it may be better for skills, is only an interim solution. And I think five or ten years' time, when maybe we have more money and a, bit, and a more progressive, maybe even a more academic attitude, we will actually be pushing other, other elements more, like, like standards, like choice, like diversity, uh, than this particular model. But... We don't want to live another four years in limbo. Anything else that sort of stands out as achievements of this state's in, well, in the past year? Government work plan, I suppose. We, we've managed to deal with Brexit and, and the pandemic as best we can. I think economic development have been trying to find a way through the cannabis sector, the air regulator, I'm on the transport committee, but I mean, <clears throat> the Channel Island air uh, regulator was clearly an issue last year and was dealt with. They, they would, they would, they would, they would be kind, kind of achievements. You I mentioned the the, um, the the phrase "action this day," and of course we've used that quite a lot because it's used don't by think Deputy got, Fairbrush. We oh. are moving forward to housing, housing action group as well. We've we've perhaps things a bit. It's a bit like the, the little swan. You're not really seeing much on the surface, but a lot's going on behind the scene. Obviously, we're looking at one year in, um, but uh, it's always a good time to start thinking about you know, what's going to be achieved before the next election when everything gets thrown up in the air again. So can I ask each of you, what is the most important thing you feel this state needs to get done before you have to start thinking about campaigning for the next election? 
You've got three years and eight months starting today. Well, <laughs> both of us have got a meeting on uh, disability and inclusion projects, especially the legislation, and I think uh, the, the legislation combined with cultural change is, is something that, that is most definitely needed. I think the, 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 the other thing that's really needed is, 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 is much more strengthening. If we are to a population increase in more houses, economic development, that's great, but we really do need to look at something like a national park and a complete upgrading of our environmental, biodiversity, wildlife, countryside strategy. I mean, obviously there are a huge amount of issues, but I think fundamentally probably the one that underpins everything is managing our population. Um, if we're going to sort out the economy, if we're going to manage our health system, if we're going to address uh, discrimination legislation, all of those things come in and are top priorities, but our population is not really working for us in the way that we need it to. And when you say managing, moment. do you mean uh, limiting its number, bringing, uh, bringing in uh, younger people through migration? Which aspects? I, think it, I don't think it's as simple as a number. I think it's the makeup of our population. What do we have to do to make sure that we've got enough working population to feed our economy so that we can invest and build houses and do all the things that we need to do? And do you have sort of practical measures in mind that you want the states to take in this term to achieve that? Well, I think that's where so many things feed in. So things like discrimination legislation um, appeal to younger people um, and they're the people that we need here working, etc. So I think we just need to have a broader view when we're looking at issues in isolation of how they then have a ripple effect on fundamental issues like population. And so uh, finally, I just want to invite you each to, uh, it's a brutal question, but to give a mark out of 10 for progress so far for this state's after one year? Mm, six out of ten. Ooh. I was going to go with six, and now it sounds like I've just copied John. But <laughs> I, I think, think you go slightly lower, you might go five. I'm surprised. I thought you were going to say a bit higher, actually. Oh, well, nearly, six is not that great. I nearly said seven, actually. but Seven would be average, but yeah, six is I, like... I, 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 well, there are... There are uh, well, you there have are, something to compare it against, don't you? Yeah. Which I suppose, you, you know, as a newbie, you don't. How does it compare to other states? I think we've gone faster in terms of getting major policies to the chamber a bit. Uh, and, and, and what amounts to government business plan, strategic plan, has come a little bit quicker... Uh, there's been a little bit of bloodletting, uh, clearly, with, with, with structures. I think perhaps the media are missing a huge story with the way policy and resources operate, because uh, there used to be a lot of navel-gazing debates about whether we needed a restructuring of government towards a more policy council or cabinet or um, um, ministerial system. But this PNR have gone ahead and done it without renaming it. Uh, and so that's that's a change. But that was what you wanted, though, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, it hasn't been done particularly transparently or democratically, uh, in a way. In, in the sense that it makes decisions quicker and clearer, yes, I like that. And I also like it that maybe there's a slight curbing of the... Of, of the uh, of the mandate of the senior civil service executive, but there's also a sense of the Wild West a bit about it, uh, whereby it's it's not entirely clear how that's working. So I think that will be an issue that will run and run, 
uh, as as to PNR working with with the chamber uh, in in that respect. But yeah, the, so uh, progress on on that's been made, and I suppose budgetary progress. Uh, if anything, we're going too fast. I think I, it sounds funny to say, but I think that. Uh, in the last states, our first big stuff was the development plan, and that didn't go that swimmingly. Too many amendments and an outcome people didn't own eventually. And this year, I think we've already seen, or some would say education has been difficult, but leaving education aside, we, we've already seen two political debacles. The first was the ports, which came far too early. It should have been strategic and structural, and it came left field from STSB and, and, and flopped effectively. And now we're seeing the tax review. Now, the tax review really does need a lot of selling, a lot of marketing, a lot of push, a lot of thinking about. And I think coming... Because it's on the road, it has, it? Is, is, is likely to have a really weird outcome. And then where we go on from there, I know not. But well, what do you make of the... I mean, I'm going to have to paraphrase because I can't remember the exact uh, words that he used. Deputy Mark Hellier uh, was talking about the tax review in advance of it, uh, of the debate, uh, and saying that, um, you know, de- deputies were going to have to realise that, uh, that, that we're at two minutes to midnight and take appropriate action, um, and that he supported the way of doing it, this through uh, consensus government. But if that doesn't work, then we'll have to look at other options. And I took that to be a sort of dark muttering to towards the idea of uh, an extension of executive government. Is that how you took it? That doesn't sit well with me. <laughs> um, because that's not, that's not how our government works. If we want to change the structure of our government, then that is what we should do. But we should do it transparently and democratically, not keep doing it through the back door, through just slightly oddly phrased proposals. Oh. <laughs> Slightly oddly phrased propositions that don't necessarily demonstrate exactly what they're what they're doing. It's Neil Inder calling, and we actually did invite him on the. Yeah, we did. Yeah, his response was not for me, thanks. Uh, So now he's obviously feeling left out. And then we asked Deputy Prow. You must try to get them on, but um, Deputy Prow was busy. I think I think I think there's a little bit of a sense that um, a bit like in the last term as well, but. A lot certain people who are active in government, they've got a lot to do, um, but they they don't want... We see this in Jersey a lot nowadays as well. They don't particularly want to engage too much with the media because they feel... It's quite controlling. They feel the media has a negative agenda. Which isn't true. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll just refer to my notes. Uh, No, we don't. Actually, it could well be uh, uh, that that we don't have, despite, I know there's going to be an interesting hearing, Health and Social Care, Deputy Berry will be on the receiving end of this with scrutiny very soon. (laughs) But I, 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 I do wish we had an even more active scrutiny context in Guernsey with maybe an audit commission or public accounts committee or select committees uh, because whereas in Jersey you're seeing Senator Christina Moore and her team uh, do, being pretty active here we, we, we for, for many years we've perhaps not quite seen that oversight uh, of the semi-executive that we need uh, and Deputy Hellier's um, hint that he might prefer more um, less consensus approach has been heard many times in the past 
uh, Deputy St. Pierre hinted at it in the past. So did Deputy Parkinson. I remember he said this is the last chance saloon for consensus government when we reorganised. Well, I think Deputy Salisbury is in, is and she Deputy in charge Salisbury of looking that. at sort and, of reviewing and, this, yeah, I, I signed a baquette that was a bit of a halfway house, but didn't get Oh, just before else. COVID, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, because it would have looked at pre-member committees, for example, for some bodies. And, and, and once you go down to pre-members on a committee instead of five or seven, effectively, the pre-members are the minister, the deputy minister and the assistant minister. Uh, and that would be a, a totally different sort of scenario. And... Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, Tina's right. The states will have to carefully look at 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 at, at a sort of covert centralisation of power. But of course, up till now, approximately twenty, twenty one, twenty two, twenty three members of the states have been very happy to see that. All right, we better wrap it up. Yeah, I think we, we ought yes. to. Uh, Deputy John Gollop and Deputy Tina Berry, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks uh, very much. This marking the the one year on from the uh, election 2020. I, I, I wasn't even a journalist back then. It seems like an age ago. We'll wrap it up there. Um, so thanks again uh, for joining us. Thanks for Thank having us. You're listening to the Guernsey Press Politics Podcast, and uh, that was an interesting discussion, I felt, uh, with Deputies John Gollop and Deputy Tina Berry. Uh, One year on from election 2020, and uh, Helen, what did you make of... uh their observations. Then. Very interesting. Uh, we're still reeling from the fact that Deputy Gollop said that uh, he had thought about joining the uh, Alliance Party. Uh, but yeah, re- really interesting. I think, um, you know, this time last year, there's always, there's always so much lofty talk and hope, isn't there? And a year on, I think sometimes it's, it's sort of the grudge of government and that things don't move as fast as what people hope that they're going to move and and civil services around all around the world they have quite an embedded culture and it it's really difficult i think for politicians and the and the leaders of the civil service to 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 change that and to reform that so i, I you know on I, I picked up a sense of frustration from both of them about about perhaps a lack of speed, although Deputy Gollop also said sometimes there was too much speed. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I, uh, as political anoraks, I mean, uh, we are more familiar with this, but uh, you know, it's almost as if people standing for election uh, are able to sort of make lots of promises, thinking they're going to. There's get- lofty talk. I mean, I'm not. I'm not referring to these. T- just generally, there's always lofty talk. There's hope and hubris, isn't there? Yeah, and we kind of we know that how difficult it is to turn the ship around and to get stuff changed in this system of government. I often think, though, that the the first two years of a state's term are the most important in terms of really getting the ball rolling on on all fronts, because once you get past the halfway mark. Uh, you're already thinking about the next election. People you're have their yeah. People through. have their eye on the next election. Yeah. De- definitely within a year. And not, and not just from the point of view of being distracted by the election coming, but by um, you know having to get your consultation done. Your um, you know. Um, speaking to all stakeholders, drafting your policy letter and getting your big idea through uh, to the floor of the states and having it debated uh, and, you know, not amended to death and then getting it all done before the next election. We've seen before how states' meetings get bigger and bigger and bigger towards an election and, and, okay, so who cares if it takes longer to do, but stuff doesn't get done because of that. And uh, or things get thrown out in the in the sort of the, the heat of irritated it tends to debate. To get more populist, yes. Yeah, and, yeah. So it's it's.
it's an issue. Um, so we haven't really seen... Uh, you're, you're mentioning, you know, the second lockdown is a mitigating factor, but we're not seeing huge amounts of movement on some of those things that were specifically flagged up after the election last year. So, yeah, the practical things With like frames, let's yeah. fix the hole in the Fairlane wall or the Havlet slipway or, you know, things that were highlighted as being absurd for not having been completed and still not completed. Well, education, I mean... A solution has been found. I mean, it depends what prism you look through to whether you think it's that's a good thing or or not a good thing. But I think that is the one big thing that they can really say we've we've done this. And it, it's it it sort of makes me think of Brexit. Of you know, let's get Brexit done. They they they've got it done. They 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 have found uh, a solution to that. They they well they found a new plan. Um, we, we haven't seen spades in the ground yet, and you know the, uh, there's a long way to go yet. And, um, but um, education, sport, and culture will be um, uh, presenting uh, pro- their progress report at the next states meeting. So that's something to look forward to. We might get some indication as to some of the practical measures that they've now fleshed out, some f- sort of flesh on the bones of uh, of what we saw in the policy letter. Hopefully, now we'll you, sa- you said that. to me before there was an elephant in the room. Yes, and I, there was, there was a man I don't know who that is or what that is. Who was not mentioned in that entire wide-ranging discussion, although he was uh, sort of uh, alluded to several times, and that was uh, Deputy Gavin St-Pierre. And I think he's worth us mentioning now because um, he topped the poll. We're talking about last year's election. He was the most popular candidate uh, amongst the electorate. And um, there's... Uh, that's quite a surprising thing in a way for uh, somebody who was the chief minister. You might normally expect the person that's sort of nominally in charge to get a bit of a bashing at the polls. Now, I think it's fair to say that the handling of the COVID he situation got the COVID was, yeah. was, was perceived very positively and he was clearly the, 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 the figurehead yeah. there. So, so undoubtedly, I think it's reasonable to suggest that he benefited from that at the polls. But um, nevertheless, you know, he, uh, when we then went to, into the chamber, went for the top job. Uh, he didn't have the support of the, the members of the assembly. Um, he then went for um, uh, seats on, uh, for presidencies of committees, didn't succeed there. Um, chose not to go for seats on uh, committees uh, where he wasn't. President instead went for a very specific and rather small role for a poll topper, you might say, of STSB. Well, STSB has got that's got. It's not one of the principal committees. It is, yeah, it's a big. But um, look at who's got it now. It's Deputy Roffey. Does he have other roles as well? Yes, he does. You know, it's it's not. uh, But he was going for that solely once he'd got into that position. Um, And so I think the phrase has been used by um, politicians who've come to visit us in our little media room down below the. The, uh, the the assembly there that, that that they've created a monster in terms of he was rejected from the roles that he wanted and now he's sort of uh, backbencher extraordinaire asking the most awkward questions he possibly can but that, on every subject yeah, under the sun. and well the devil finds work for idle hands and the states they had three opportunities I suppose to give him presidencies. Uh, you're right, maybe he didn't go about that in um in, in the normal way, but he did have. The states did have opportunities to give him responsibilities, and 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 that didn't happen. So they can't 
really, why, why is he asking so many questions? He's, he's the ultimate backbencher now. But I, I, I will have to speak to him about this as well, I think, because uh, we're talking about him an awful lot. But I, I, I'm curious, I've always been curious, actually, ever since, as to what lay behind his thinking and in the, in the tactics that he deployed in that meeting. Because I remember at the time thinking, this isn't going to end well. This is quite strange that he's not going to be, you know, a, a, a committee member contributing to one of these principal committees um, and is it because he wanted the pre- presidencies of, of a committee that he's not willing to sort of be a team player? It doesn't seem like what we've seen from him in the past. So um, we thought of inviting him onto the, onto the discussion we've just had, but we thought well, we wouldn't want two members of the Guernsey Partnership for Independence. It would, it would sort of you know, be a rather kind of biased conversation. But uh, no, throughout the discussion, I was thinking I had him in my head as a kind of elephant in the room that wasn't being discussed. So there, we've discussed him. And we, we should talk about parties because... Uh, that that pays our mortgages, and uh, <laughs> only one party has survived. Yeah, and and year. in a diminished form. In, in a slightly diminished form. Because obviously, yeah. Deputy Chris Letizier. Well, I, well, I don't call him Deputy Chris Letizier, do I? Form, yeah. Well, Mr. Letizier yeah. is not in the assembly currently, uh, having been suspended, and um, Deputy Liam McKenna He's has left them. the yeah. uh, Guernsey Party. So there's only five of them left, but. They are, as you say, the only surviving party. Um, so maybe it, it shows us that, A, you should be bold enough to call yourself a party, not a sort of partnership that isn't really a party. And B, um, it's good to, uh, whichever part of the political spectrum you're on, it's good to have uh, specific policies and stick to them and have the principles that you coalesce around. Um, because uh, obviously the, that's where the Alliance Party fell down. I think they, um, well, they didn't have any high-profile figures. That maybe that held them back. But they they held meetings to decide what their party should be for, which always struck me as a uh, a difficult way to go about the process because quite, you'd want to have them have them have principles before you start so you know what you're joining they used a very sort of uk model as well like their manifestos were all exactly the same and i think that was a big turn off for people because they they wanted to read different manifestos and to have to have these people all having the same was came across as a bit of a a bit of a cop out really yeah and maybe that speaks to the uh, fact that the electorate in guernsey are still very much uh approaching elections on a personal basis they want to know who the people are that they can trust they don't go into an election thinking this is my general area of of you know i'm I'm on the right or i'm on the left i'm going to vote for that party because that's what aligns with me i mean even in the uk when people vote labor it's not just because they're considered a party of the left or the center left it's there's a whole history there of what that party has stood for in the past similarly with the conservatives whatever party we're going to see at the next election they don't have that kind of history uh, of what they've done in the past for the people so it's i think inevitably still going to be about personalities and and whether they feel they can trust those individuals. I feel like the parties are going to become more more important though in 2025. Well, I you know, I I'm don't looking, we're looking but I, I'm not sure if I can entirely <laughs> articulate why, but it will be fascinating to to watch that play out uh, as it has been fascinating in this last year to see um, the disintegration of party politics. Yes, really. we, sh- we should mention as well public sector reform because that was a big goal of, of government and we are starting to see, I think, things happening there, aren't we, with um, the removal of the chief executive. There is a lot of talk about slimming down the states. 
Well, we're seeing, we've seen, obviously, one of the big steps that's been taken that was controversial was the oversight by PNR, I think led by Deputy Mahoney, um, of uh, new appointments above a certain uh, pay grade. Um, but in terms of civil service reform, is is the loss of the chief executive a reform or is it just... I mean, because we've not been given any of the details as to why it happened, so we don't. We can only speculate, really. Um, it doesn't feel like the removal of an individual, or you know, even two or three, is so much civil service reform. Um, you think it's sort of superficial? Um, well, it's difficult to judge because we're not given any reasons for, for when things do happen. You know, we we haven't been presented with okay, here's our progress report on civil service reform. Um, and so, um, what do you think? Uh, we've asked for. I've asked now for three scores out of ten for the for the states over the last year. We had um, uh, candidate Catherine Hall giving the this current assembly five out of ten, and deputies Gollop and Berry there gave them six out of ten. It's not a ringing endorsement, is it? Do you think there's enough balls rolling at the states at the moment to see that? Uh, score jump up do you think we're going to see more progress well we're in the midst of this big tax debate isn't it but it's although even if that got passed the public seem very against gst and it's difficult to see the public being sort of brought on board so that is um that's potentially a quite an unpopular well no one likes paying new taxes in it do they so whatever they come up with there i cannot imagine for the life of me even if it's defeated next week that we've seen the last of gst in this political term it's going to come back it's an unsavory <laughs> savior for some <laughs> yeah. indeed so um well i think we probably ought to wrap that up we've uh, enough politics for anyone i think <laughs> even i'm feeling that so um but uh, there is actually uh, a few other perspectives that would be very interesting to hear. Um, I've uh, spoken to Catherine Hall, one of the uh, candidates who ran them close at the last election, to ask uh, her views on on what's uh, gone on in the last year. And uh, also our editor, James Fuller, has had a, a long and wide-ranging discussion with the Chief Minister, uh, Peter Fairbrush, and uh, so you'll be able to hear that and read about that uh, over the coming uh, few days. So, But for now, from us, that's all for now. Cheerio!